Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our lead pastor, Pastor Greg Brown, with this week's sermon. It's a, it's a good thing, as I have consistently said, to be uh, with God's people on the Lord's Day, isn't it? To be here with God's people in the church, right, gathered, that word ecclesia, uh, if, uh, if we can figure out how to get the slide up there. Uh, the word ecclesia is what we're calling this uh, sermon series, this two-part sermon series that hopefully I'm going to be able to expand uh, maybe at a later date. Uh, but we're doing this sermon series called Ecclesia because that is the word that's translated church in your English Bibles. It means called out ones. It means people who have been called out by God. It's a called out assembly. And so we're called the church. What a wonderful thing to be in and part of the church. This word, again, Ecclesia, leads me to think, okay, well then what is the nature of this people who are called out as a congregation? And so last week we talked about the nature of the church. What is the church about? We talked about how the church gathers because we've been gathered together by God. We've been made part of the body of Christ by God. And so in our physical lives, we then gather together as the logical uh, conclusion of that oneness, that unity that we have in Christ. And when we gather, we worship. We do this with our utmost. Yes, from us to God, there's this audience of one sort of mentality, and yet it's an audience of one for the whole congregation, and so we join together to have this time of worship. And we also encourage one another as we do that. We encourage one another in the gospel because we love one another, because we want to love and serve one another. This is who we are. This is the nature of the church. And it speaks somewhat to what we do, doesn't it? Because we love, we then serve. That's something we do. But what is produced out of our gathering? Why do we need the church? Right? Yes, we want to serve one another, but what, what, why do we want to serve one another? Is it just sort of this like, thing that we do because like, nobody really needs anybody else, but we just kind of serve one another because that's the nature of the thing? No. No. I want to look at this a little bit differently today. I want to look at the ecclesia, the church, in this mindset of the necessity of the church. So we know what the nature is. We're a called out, gathered together people. And then we have, again, the necessity of the church. Why is the church needed in this world? So we're going to do things a little differently again. I'm going to hop around a little bit. So there won't be a moment where we stand for the reading of God's word unless you guys really want to do some like Christian calisthenics. You guys want to do some Christian calisthenics, you can. Um, but we're, we're just going to kind of hop around a little bit in the Bible today. Uh, we're still going to preach these passages in, the, in an expositional manner, but um, we're just going to try, to try to gather what God has said the necessity of the church is. Why is the church necessary? Because we don't just gather for gathering's sake. We don't just get together because we happen to... Uh, to, to love one another. We don't just gather together so, so that we can worship uh, or, or whatever else. It's, it's that the church is necessary. The church isn't just some optional thing that we get to be a part of. We gather so that we can be edified in the truth and then take that truth to the ends of the world. It's necessary that we gather together, right? So the church by its nature gathers and yet in our gatherings we preserve the truth. We uphold one another. We serve one another, and then we take it out into the world. And so we're going to begin where we left off this past week. We're going to look in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 5, and it says this, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We are all members then of one body. You remember this from last week. We're members of one body. And this is where we have to begin. I said this was the foundational passage, the foundational verses for the, the 12th chapter of Romans last week. And it, and it still stands true. 
When we start talking about the church, we have to remember that our collective salvation in Christ as his body is what binds us together. So we are one body. In fact, uh, an interesting point came out this past week at uh, community group. Uh, Dale, who is uh, sitting back there now, uh, mentioned this, and it was a good reminder for all of us that our relationships with one another are all through Christ. If we are a church and we have these individual relationships with one another that are not through Christ, then we are a malfunctioning body part. But because we, then, because we connect with one another through Christ in our corporate salvation through Christ, then we can operate the right way. And so as members of the same body, we all then work to support one, one another. Christ as the head, commanding us what we should do, right? Just like your brain tells the rest of your body what to do, right? But then we go out as members of his body and we work to support one another. Like a foot supports the rest of the body. Like the eye supports the hand in knowing where it should go, what it should touch, what it should not touch. So we all work together in the same kind of body. There's a a passage in in Exodus that I want to go to now. Exodus chapter 17, if you're going to do your sword drills today with me. And I would encourage you to do that if you you desire. We will also have all the verses up there. Uh, Exodus chapter 17, the latter part of that chapter, uh, I love this part of Exodus. It's funny uh, because like, I didn't realize that I had mentioned this so, so often until Pastor Brandon talked to me one day and was like, man, you talk about this passage all the time. You talk about this passage all the time. You should, you should preach a sermon on this. And so this is a little mini sermon uh, on this passage. Exodus chapter 17 is a great illustration of the body working together for the sake uh, of holding one another up. So 17, Exodus 17, uh, 8 through 13 says this, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. This is the same staff that he parted the Red Sea with. So Joshua did as Moses told him and uh, fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword." I love this as an illustration of the body functioning as it should. These men who were gathered together on this hilltop were there for one another, weren't they? A little bit of background on this passage. Uh, Moses had, uh, had one job here, didn't he? He had one job, right? Hold up his hands. He's supposed to have the staff of God, and he's going to keep his hands in the air. He had one job. Seems relatively simple, right? It is simple. <laughs> It's not all that easy, though, right? Is it? When he held up his arms, then uh, Israel would gain ground. And when they drooped, then Israel would lose ground. And when he held up his arms, they would come back again. They would begin to win again. All he had to do was keep his arms in the air. All he had to do, simple, just keep his arms in the air. But really, like, you try it. I mean, battles could last for hours, Right? You try keeping your hands above your head for hours at a time. Difficult stuff, isn't it? I know, at least for me, I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you are very much stronger than I am. When I was in high school, uh, I mean, I wasn't ripped, but I, I did some weightlifting. Uh, uh, you know, and for me, like, leg day was easy. I don't know, like, I, everybody complains about leg day. Leg day was, was fine. Leg press, easy. Squats, a little bit harder, but fine. Bench press, improving, okay? Improving. Military press, where you got to push that thing up vertically over your head, nothing. Like, put, give me the bar, and I'm going. I'm struggling. Okay, <laughs> like it was. It was crazy. In fact, uh, my uh, the the coach, the the teacher of the weightlifting class, I got to get credits for this. It was great. Um, anyway, he came up and <laughs> I was like struggling to to push this thing above my head, and he he was like, "That is your arch nemesis, isn't it?" 
Like everything else is going well, this is not going well for you. <laughs> but it, it's, it's hard to hold things above your head, isn't it? It's simple, but it's difficult. Likewise, you have one job as Christians. You have one job. Live for Jesus. One job. Simple, isn't it? Simple. Not really. Right? Not easy. Perhaps simple. Perhaps simple to say, but difficult to do. You should forsake sin, cling to Jesus. That's it. But the reality is that we need one another, don't we? We need one another. And Moses here wasn't alone. I love this. He didn't go on the mountain alone. He knew he would need some help. He would need some people with him. And so he brought Aaron and her with him. Aaron and her are, uh, are, are interesting characters. Aaron is the, the high priest, the older brother of Moses. He was the one who uh, Moses, uh, or, or actually God had said to Moses, hey, like, if you can't speak, Aaron will speak for you. Right? He might have been eloquent as opposed to Moses, who might have been a stutterer. Aaron was uh, also the, the, the high priest who would uh, end up allowing the people to construct the golden calf. You might remember him from that. Aaron, relatively consistent character throughout the scriptures. Her, though, her is an interesting character. He's relatively unknown. He's mentioned only one other time in the scriptures, and that's when Moses goes up the mountain the first time, and he leaves Aaron and her in charge. So he goes up the mountain of God, and he goes and receives the Ten Commandments for the first time. You remember what happens. He comes back down. He sees the people worshiping the golden calf. He smashes the tablets, right? But while, uh, while he was gone, while he was on that mountain, Aaron and her were in charge, um, her is conspicuously then missing from that point forward. When he says, you guys are in charge, only Aaron is then uh, spoken about in the scriptures after that point. It's pretty interesting. Uh, there's some conjecture that says that perhaps her was killed uh, as he tried to prevent the people from making the golden calf. That's a, that's a whole lot of conjecture. Okay, that's an opinion of a rabbi somewhere. All right, so don't take it as, as biblical truth, but it's an interesting story nonetheless. What I will say is that Hur has mentioned that one other time, and he's, uh, he's mentioned as the father of the man who built the tabernacle, which is interesting. Anyway, so Aaron and Hur are Moses' right-hand men, right? He, he says, hey, we're going we're, we're gonna to go up to this mountain together, and I need you guys to go with me. Because Moses couldn't hold up his arms alone. He needed people around him to do it with him. Yes, they were his arms that were being held up, but they supplied the additional strength that was necessary. In the same way, we often need our brothers and sisters in Christ to hold up our arms, don't we? In the Christian life, when your arms get tired, when you get weary of doing good, you need somebody to come alongside you and help you to hold up your arms, to just go, yes, I'm going to continue to do what God has told me to do, to hold my arms in the air, to walk in holiness, to walk in obedience to Christ. We all hold our, each, other, each other's arms up. Yes, we try on our own, but we need one another. The necessity of the church is that we all come around one another to support each other. I have... Men in my life who do this, Pastor Brandon is one of them, Dale is another, they'll come, they'll come alongside me and go like, hey, if you're weary, I got you. I got you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be all right. There are people who will come alongside you in this church, your friends, your family, those who are, who are gathered here with you will be happy to come alongside you and help you in your moment of need. They help you to hold your arms up. Think about those people in your life, those people that are part of the big C church of God, but those people that are part of this local church as well. They give you encouragement when you need it most. You, maybe you don't even realize it, but man, like somebody comes through and they say, you know what? Got this. I'm going to help you to hold up your arms. I'm going to help you to walk in holiness. I'm going to encourage you that it's going to be okay. People who come and say, thank you. Thank you for setting up this morning. Thank you for working in kids. Thank you in all these things. Is this thing working now? 
Hey, there we go. People who will come up and, and give you constructive criticism in your walk with Christ, right? Those people help you hold up your arms too, won't they? They'll say, hey, like, I see this area. I see this thing that's just not quite right. I see this thing that's not quite right. Here's how I can help you to walk according to what God has said. We need one another to hold each other's arms up. <laughs> what I love about this passage isn't simply that Moses is there with Aaron and her on either side. He's got his boys, right, holding up his arms, making sure that he can do what he's been called to do. It's not just them involved in this story, is it? There's more people than just Moses, Aaron, and her. There's Joshua and the army actually fighting the battle for them. Right? It's the whole church. It's the whole body functioning as it should, going out and fighting this battle. Because guess what? Three guys with a staff isn't much against an entire army, is it? But they have the whole church. They have the whole gathering, the whole set of people. They have the whole body out there fighting the battle for them and with them. They might not be together physically. Maybe they might not even know each other personally super well. But guess what? They're out there fighting for them anyway. And so Moses, Aaron, and her perform the function that they were called to perform within the context of the body. Moses holding up his arms, his two right hand, or well, right hand and left hand man, I guess, holding up each of his arms, uh, holding his arms up. They were called to do that, help him to hold his arms up. And then Moses directing Joshua to go and defeat the Am Amalekites with, uh, with all of the army. And then you have the individual people fighting this battle on their behalf, everyone functioning as they should. This is why we need the body. We need the whole body. We don't just need a few close friends, do we? We need the whole church. We need everybody functioning as they should because even sometimes when you don't see that someone has served you, they've served you. Do you know who made the coffee this morning? Do you know who put this, mic stand, or this uh, music stand out? Do you know who set up those speakers. The individual who actually touched those wires, do you know those people? Do you know the people who put the pipe and drape up? Which one of those drapes was put up by each person? No, you don't know all of those people individually off the top of your head. You don't know. That's the army. They're out there fighting for you. They're serving you right now. They served you this morning by putting their hands to the plow. This is how the body works together. In the context of this passage, we see so many people working together for the sake of the good of the whole. They hold up one another. We like to say that this church exists for the edification of the saints. I like that terminology. I say this a lot. In fact, I would say that the church really serves to, or exists for two purposes, but I'm going to get to the second purpose in a bit. That first purpose, the edification of the saints, that is to say that it exists to help us metaphorically keep our arms up. It helps to strengthen us. The church exists first for the people of God. We strengthen one another. We come together. We fight the good fight of faith, and we do it together in community. That's an amazing blessing. Why is the church necessary? It's necessary because we are weak and cannot do it on our own, but God provides a gracious thing called the body of Christ for each one of us. We exist to love one another, to serve one another. We, we exist to provide a place where, guess what? You actually belong here. I think a lot of people are thinking, they, they, want, they talk about this idea of belonging as this sort of weird thing that's out there, kind of, well, this is the left, so over on the left side of things, right? This diversity, inclusion, belonging sort of thing that happens. But guess what? There's some good stuff over, over there. It's called belonging. This is a, an existential need that we have as human beings. We need to feel like we belong. Guess what? You belong. If you're in Christ here today, you belong. You belong. What a wonderful thing. That's real. We also have things like accountability. We exist for the edification of the saints in accountability. To go, hey, like, I see this. Maybe you don't see it. Let me help you. We do it for discipline. We, we have this church for discipline. That's the edification of the saints in this passive and active sense. 
we have the passive sense of discipline in that we read the scriptures, we try to apply them to our lives, and we do it in community. We have active church discipline, which is where someone has publicly and consistently given themselves over to sin, and we're trying to draw them back to Christ. All sorts of wonderful things that we have then in this body of Christ and things that we need. We need to belong. We need to feel loved. We need all of these things. We need to be served, and we ultimately need others to help us keep our arms up. And we keep our arms up not only because it glorifies God, but because our lives act as testimonies to the world about who our Savior is. You might think that the Christian life is all about personal holiness, and it's just about you and God. It's not. You present a story to the world according to how you live. What are you saying about Jesus with your life? We gather together, we're helped in saying, okay, well, how do I live more consistently with who Jesus has made me to be? Our lives are testimonies about who our Savior is, is, and our lives testify to the truth. Not just your truth. Okay, whatever that is. I have no idea what your truth is. It's the big T truth is what I like to call it. Big capital T truth. Your lives testify to that truth. It's not your truth, it's the truth. And if that's a distorted view, then we have a problem. But because we gather together as a church, because we support one another as a church, man, we get to say, hey, like, how can we show the world Jesus through our lives better? Because if we ultimately get too far out of alignment, if our arms droop and we have no one to keep us steady and our, you know, you're, you're sitting there you're trying to hold your arms up and you just, these muscles won't activate anymore like they won't for me half the time. <laughs> you're trying to, trying to hold the weight up. And you're just like, no, I can't. When your arms droop and you have no one to keep you steady, no one to come alongside and lift those arms up and lock that elbow in, right? Nobody out there to do that, then, then we make the mistake of the early 20th century liberal theologians who used the words of the ancient church while reconstructing their meanings to suit themselves. It's happened a lot. This is part of the fundamentalist movement. It's the, it's the two sides of the argument. They said all the right things. They did all the right things externally, but they had changed the very meaning of the thing. They presented a testimony to the world that was so different than Orthodox Christianity that it was almost unrecognizable. We can't go there. As a church, we need each other to stay on the path. We've got to find ways to hold each other's arms up so that we just stay on that that path of the truth. But because we are together and we can hold each other's arms up, then we can hold each other accountable. We can love one another. We can uh, keep each other on the straight and narrow. We can collectively present a testimony to the world that is a counter-narrative to its lies. Because the church exists not only for our sake, not only so that we can hold our arms up, okay? The church doesn't just exist for that but it also exists as a pillar and a buttress of the truth. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15 says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. This little couple of verses is hot on the heels of Paul describing public worship in 1 Timothy 2 and then the qualifications for elders and deacons in the first part of the chapter. Public worship, the people who are most visible in the church, the officers. He says, I'm going to describe all these things. And why does he say that he described these things? He says, if I delay, you might know how one ought to behave in the household of God. He's saying you have a public testimony to make when you worship in public and when you appoint officers who are unqualified. In order to have an organized church, a church organical, as, uh, as John Owen likes to put it, uh, or liked to put it, a uh, little uh, Puritan word for you, organical. 
I love it. I don't know. An organized church, in order to have that, you have to have members and officers, and you have to have the word rightly preached and the sacraments rightly administered. This is the essence of the local church. And if you have these things, then you probably have yourself a church. Probably. But if you don't have these things, then you certainly do not have a church. Paul writes these things so that people might know how to behave in God's household, which is the church, and he says that these things are essential. He's like, look, you need all of these things. You need to make sure that your officers are rightly qualified. You need to make sure that you're living your lives in holiness because you are meant to be a pillar and a buttress for the truth. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be a pillar and a buttress for the truth? Well, when the church is functioning as it should, when Christians behave how God has recreated us to behave, by meeting together and worshiping and organizing ourselves as God has commanded, then the church acts as a fortress against the onslaught of all of the lies of this world. Of course, when the church is not organized then, according to biblical principle and doesn't operate as God has commanded, it is often worse than the world, isn't it? one side of the pendulum or the other. But when the church is operating as it should, then God has ordained that we be the means by which he preserves the big T truth in the world. Do you know that that's true? Have you ever thought about that? That the church has been entrusted with the big T truth that God has given us. That's his word, okay? He's given us the scriptures God preserves his scriptures, his word, through the church. He chooses the church. He doesn't need us, by the way. He could preserve the word of God by any other means, but guess what? He uses means. He uses the means of the church to preserve his word. Now, does that mean we always get things right? No. No. We probably got things wrong today. Let's be real. We don't always get things right. More than a few people have been wounded, scarred, and have even died because the church got things wrong. But God uses imperfect things to preserve the perfect things. And by his grace, he has preserved his word for millennia. Millennia. You know how long that is? That's a lot of people ago. A lot of generations ago. Millennia. And he preserves it through the church. But the church isn't just scribes, are we? When's the last time that you all tried to sit down and copy an entire Bible? Probably not many of us, if any, right? You might write down some passages in order to memorize them, things like that. Not many of us are scribing the Bible and preserving it in that sense. But we're not just meant to do that. There are certain people who do that within the context of the church, and that's a wonderful gift. But... We are also meant to preserve the right interpretation of the word. We're meant to preserve the right interpretation of the word. Again, this church is not perfect, and sometimes we can't agree on some interpretational details with other churches or even within ourselves at times. But ultimately, we should adhere as closely as possible to what God's word has said and the interpretation that is clear from his word. When we let Scripture interpret Scripture, we're in a good place. But we should also consider what the, the general warp and woof of historical theology has been. The people who came before us were also filled with the Holy Spirit and interpreted these same Scriptures. We should value what God has done through them, through his people, as they attempted to understand his word just as we do. Now, look, Tradition has no real authority in comparison to the Scripture, unquestionably, right? There's no comparison. It's height and depth, right? It's, but we should consider what other people through the course of history have said. Because, look, the, the Holy Scripture, according to the, the 1689, which is Confession of Faith, a, a great historical theology document, says something that we believe, and it says it in an eloquent and helpful way, the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, infallible rule for all saving faith and, uh, sorry, saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. 
But what a wonderful gift that we get to look back on historical theology and go, how have other people interpreted the scriptures? And how can I stand on the shoulders of giants, maybe checking their work, because these are the shoulders of giants with feet of clay. They're just men. But double-check their work. We should adhere to, or not adhere to, but we should uh, value the, the traditional understanding of the word so that we can preserve the right teaching of the gospel. We want to preserve the right teaching of the gospel. That's how we become a pillar and a buttress for the truth. We preach the word and we preach the clear interpretation of the word that we have gathered as a church, as the church, over the course of millennia. We preach it according to itself, unquestionably, but we value those traditions. The church is to be a foundation and a support. That's a pillar and a buttress for the truth. And we should always be reforming, right? Semper reformanda was a cry of the Reformation. We should always be thinking about how we can do better, but we should seek to preserve that truth. If If it agrees with historical theology, then great, awesome. If it doesn't, guess what? This is our primary source, right? But we need to preserve the truth. Because look, the world is filled with lies, isn't it? When's the last time that you felt like the world told you a lie? I mean, I see an ad and I see a lie. There's a lot of them out there. The world is filled with lies and the church should then present a clear counterpoint to all of those lies. Because we have the big T truth. We have the, the word of God rightly interpreted. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. We can present a counterpoint to every one of these things. We can present a counterpoint to the lie that there are more than two genders. God made them male and female. It's right there. Right? It's a lie that sex outside of marriage is normative. Sex is good in the context of marriage as it was designed. It's a lie that drunkenness is acceptable. We must be sober-minded, watchful, and filled with the Spirit. It is a lie that we are good enough to deserve heaven. The world loves to preach that one. Good enough to deserve heaven on your own. But there's a price to be paid for our sin, isn't there? We know the truth. It's a lie that politicians will save us by creating social programs or by getting us more jobs. It's a lie. The world's trying to sell you on the lie that these things will save you. They won't. Only Jesus saves. It's a lie that by either banning guns or giving standard-issue assault rifles to every adult will create peace. It's a lie. The world is trying to snow you right now, but you know better only Jesus brings peace. And it goes on and on and on and on and on, doesn't it? The world wants to sell you a bunch of lies, but you have the truth. You're part of the church. I'm not saying we rely on holy tradition. We're not Roman Catholics. I'm saying you have the truth. You have the scriptures. And you can go into community, like you can go to a community group, you can come here on a Sunday, and we can interpret these scriptures together. What a wonderful gift. Better than doing it on your own, isn't it? We get to do this together. Look, we're, we're not committed to confronting every flavor of the month lie that the, the culture tries to feed us here at this church. We're not committed to that, right? I mean, we may address these issues, and, but we are first and foremost unapologetically committed to giving you the word of God and Jesus Christ whom it preaches every single week, every single week. Because at that point, you know the truth. At that point, you can look through here and you can see how everything points to Christ and how God has made the universe in so many different ways. Because we present to you the truth, you can see the lie. We don't have to preach against every single lie that comes out. I mean, maybe we should sometimes, but we don't have to because I'm just going to give you the truth. Pastor Brandon is just going to give you the truth. The church is a pillar and a buttress for the big T gospel truth. That the, that the Word of God contains. And that is a particular part of, of this whole thing. This is the whole counsel of God. This is the, the Holy Scriptures, right? In this, we have the gospel. This is not the gospel itself, but the gospel is contained in it. And so we give you that most important bit every single week. 
because we think that that is the most important truth to preserve. Because look, if you confront lies about gender from the scripture, you go there, right? And, and, and you confront lies about debauchery or salvation by politician or whatever you know, else you might encounter, right? And you, and you go to people and you say, well, look, see, the, the scriptures say, they say this. This is what God's word says about gender, about politics, about whatever else, right? And you, you bring them to that point. Well, where are they? Well, they haven't received the most important truth yet, have they? Look, you can convince somebody from the scriptures that there are two genders, but that person could still be damned. So we preach the gospel every single week because we think it is incredibly important. We think it is essential to the nature of the church. This is part of the necessity of the church that we must go and preach the gospel. Romans 10, 12 through 15 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who, of, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's the gospel. We give you the gospel every single week because it is so incredibly essential to who the church is. Yes, we want to preach the whole counsel of God unapologetically but I want to give you the gospel more than anything else because the entire thing points to Jesus Christ and we must point this world to Jesus Christ. Because look, the gospel isn't just for church people. It's not just for us in here. Paul says there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. He's saying there's no distinction between church people and people outside the church. Jews were the church people. They were the ones that were on the inside. They had the oracles uh, and the covenants of God. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. You must preach the gospel not only to church people, but to people who are far, far off. The guy with the corner office on Wall Street, the woman that's strung out on cocaine, and the average middle-class family have two things in common. They are all sinners, and they all need to hear the good news. No distinction. The gospel must go beyond the church doors. We need to preach it here so that we can preserve the truth. But it has to go out. Acts 1.8 says that the word should go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' command. And contextualized, maybe you could say this is supposed to go to the church people, to the kind of church people, to the church people adjacent, maybe. And then literally to everyone else on the face of the planet. Or maybe to our immediate family, to our friends, and then to our acquaintances and even complete strangers. The gospel has to work its way out. Paul says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, not just to your family, not just to the the people that are within the context of the church, but to everyone. It goes to everyone. Because the gospel is ultimately preached by human lips. God uses each of us to preach the gospel to an unbelieving world so that some may be saved. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus gives the Great Commission. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's important that you see the command here first. What's the command? One word, two letters. Go. It says, Go. He doesn't say stay. He doesn't say just hang out right here quietly. He says go. Go out into the world. Get out of your comfortable church bubble 
and take salvation to the world that needs it. We're commanded to carry the good news of his salvation out into the world. And he says, go and do what? He doesn't say just carry it with you. He doesn't say just keep it inside while you go out from here into your workplace. He says, go make disciples. Of whom? Of all nations. That is, church people or not. How? Baptizing them. This is the outward sign of faith. He says, when people believe, dip them. That's why we're Baptists. A little theological drop there for you. We believe that when someone is saved, they should immediately be baptized. They should receive that sign. In fact, the, the apostles at times even intertwine those things so tightly that you can get a little off on your theology because they're like, well, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you're baptized. There's no question. It just happens. And that's why they can say the, the things that they do about baptism and salvation being so tightly intertwined, so interrelated. So what Jesus is saying to his disciples is he says, go out and when people believe, because they will believe, when people believe, give them the outward sign of faith. Baptize them. And then he says, teach them. Because we need to understand how our salvation should work its way out in our everyday lives, don't we? Talked about this a little bit last week. We need to know how this works in our everyday lives. How then shall we live? You might go like, well, that stuff's scary, man. It's hard. It's scary to go out into the world like that. Yeah. But sometimes we forget these couple of verses that go around the command. Verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What's Jesus saying? He has every authority everywhere. He's the one that commands us. If you're worried, appeal to him. You're just the messenger. You're just the messenger. He says, I am the king and Lord of all. I command you to go do this. You have my authority. You have the authority of Jesus Christ to call sinners to repentance and faith. And then he says at the end, as a comfort, behold, what? I am with you always till when? The end of the age. He says, I have all authority and I'm right here with you. Go, make disciples and do it confidently. The one by whom all things were created, everything, is in your corner. He's with you to the end of the age. The church exists then to take the gospel everywhere, from the church service to the ends of the earth. I hope it excites you to know that as part of your giving every single month, 10% of what we bring in as a church goes toward the SBCV Cooperative Fund which takes the gospel to people here in Virginia and across the world. That's part of what we do as a church. It's part of the ethos of what we do. Look, say what you will about the SBC and all of the drama or whatever else. There's something they do really, really, really well. Missions. Taking the gospel to people. Planting churches. They do that really well, and we're proud to be a part of that. I think you guys should be proud of that too. Look, we're, we're contributing to that. We're In our small way, we're contributing to the, the preaching of the gospel in so, so many different places. To participate in this wide-ranging ministry is an incredible blessing. It's actually why we joined the SBC to begin with. Like You might think, oh, well, like they joined the SBC because they wanted support or they wanted like fellowship or whatever else. No, no, no. We joined the SBC because we wanted to be involved in missions. And that was a great way to do it. And so we continue to give, and we will, for the life of this church, continue to give to missionary organizations that take the gospel to the ends of the world. But I would hate to see the rest of the world come to know Jesus while our own hometown remains starved for the gospel. I would. And believe me, Mechanicsville is starved for the gospel. If you assume that every church in the area preaches the gospel and every seat that was filled on Sunday, guess what? We still wouldn't reach everyone. Even Pastor Brandon brings the statistic up all the time because we looked it up when we first planted this church. 
the reality is that if every single soul in, or every single seat in Mechanicsville and every single church was filled with people and all of those people were perfectly regenerate and we could know that without question, we still wouldn't have enough churches in this area to get the gospel to everybody. We've got work to do. We've got work to do right here and this church has to do this work. If others aren't doing it now, what makes you think they will? We've got work to do. We need to find opportunities to tell people about Jesus. Ask them questions about what they believe, and then ask if you can tell them what you believe. I think that's a great way to do things sometimes. Have a little exchange. Right? What do you believe? What do you think about life? You know? What do you think about what happens after death? What happens... Do you have an eternal soul? Do you have a, a soul of any kind? What do you think about these things? Can I tell you what I believe? It's a great way to start a conversation. Maybe serve your unbelieving neighbors, friends, and family. Meet needs and tell them why. This is something we need to do more of as a church, I think. I think we've sort of been in subsistence, try to make it work mode, right? We, we've been trying to to create this thing and make sure that we're healthy as a church. But man, now it's time to go. It's time to go out. It's time to go reach our community somehow. But that's for another time. I just want you to be aware that that is coming down the pike. We're going to go. We need to go more. But ultimately, the command is clear. Go and preach the gospel. That's what Jesus tells us to do. And he says, you have my authority to go and do it. That's the nature of the church, of the, the necessity of the church, really. At the end of the day, it's for our good. It's for our edification. It's for the preservation of the truth. And it's to take that truth into the world. That's the necessity of the church. It's why the church is so necessary. And this goes alongside the nature of the church, which is to, to gather, right? So we gather, right? And then we go. We gather for encouragement. We go pour into others. We gather for worship with one another, and we go worship with the rest of our lives. And perhaps most importantly, we gather to hear the gospel, and then we go to preach the same. What you have received, take it to others. During this short series, uh, that, like I said, I hope to expand at some point in future months and years, um, I've used this word ecclesia to describe us, church. It's this called out assembly. But as we close the second week, I, I want to remind you that you are not only ecclesia, you are not only the church, but that you are also little a apostles, not big A, big A, you know, Peter, James, John, those guys, not like that. Okay? But you are little a apostles. You know what apostle means? It means sent ones. It means sent ones. We are all now sent to go preach the gospel. You've received it. Jesus Christ died for sinners. He sits at the right hand of God making intercession for his people. That's the gospel. You've received it. You're going to see it visibly as we partake of communion today. You've received the gospel. Now go and take it to them. Be sent. You're sent into the world to minister to your friends, family, and neighbors. And you're armed with the biggest truth of them all. You have every bit of authority to do it. This week, I want to encourage you to do four things. I'm not usually this kind of guy, all right? I'm not usually big on the four-point application, but here we go. One, I want you to think about your salvation and how the forgiveness of your sins, the justification that you have with God and your adoption as sons and daughters unites you with other Christians. I want you to spend time thinking about the unity we have in Christ. That's first thing. Just think about it. Praise God for it. Spend some time in prayer. Just thank, Thanksgiving kind of prayer. You ever pray a Thanksgiving kind of prayer? Just a, I'm going to spend five minutes just thanking God that he brought me into the church. Second thing I want you to do, I want you to consider how you can express the brotherly love that comes from that unity in Christ toward others, then actually do it. Like, 
reach out to someone in this church and tell them that, tell them that you appreciate them. That's something small you can do. I know you can send a text message, get on Slack, shoot off a phone call, get coffee. Tell someone that you love them, that you support them, and that you want to help them in their walk with Christ. Come alongside somebody. If you're not sure where to do that, we have community groups that started up this past week. It's a great place to do it. Get more information at the Connection Center. Same thing with discipleship groups. If you're like, I can't make it to community group, it doesn't work with my schedule. We have lots of little groups that meet together for the sake of mutual encouragement. You should go make a friend and study the scriptures together, pray together. But seriously, find one thing you can do this week to show someone in this church that you love them, that you care for them, and you're there for them. Walk out what God has done by uniting you to the church. Third thing, I want you to look for opportunities to share the gospel with people in your life, whether by sharing directly or by bringing them to church. Because they're going to hear the gospel at church. All right? Either way, you want to take that route of like, I'm just going to bring them to church, great. If you can get them here, awesome. But don't think that inviting people to church is preaching the gospel. It's not. If you can't get them to come to church, you've got you to take the gospel to them. That's the third thing. Find a way to preach the gospel or bring somebody to church. That's not just, look, I, I just want to be completely clear, okay? This isn't so we can grow in numbers. I want people to hear the gospel. I couldn't care less whether they're a part of this church or not. I would love to have them as part of this church, right? But I want them as part of a gospel-believing church somewhere, anywhere, okay? This church is going to grow or whatever as God sees fit. I'm not worried. But I want you to bring people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. Fourth thing, I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God would give us joy in corporate worship, love for one another, strength to serve, and to hold our hands high. Just give us clarity in his word and to give us boldness to proclaim the gospel. That's the fourth ask. Pray consistently. Put a reminder in your phone. You want to whip out Siri in just a minute uh, after service and go, hey, like remind me at noon every day, pray for Mosaic. Pray for the people of Mosaic. I'm not talking about the church as a corporate entity, okay? I'm talking about the individuals. Pray for somebody. Pray that God would help us. And if you'll do that, I, I, I hope that you will. I think that God is going to do amazing things because God has and continues to work through prayer. I've seen it in my own self. He continues to work through prayer. And so I think that if we all gather together in prayer, that God is going to do amazing things, helping us to go take the gospel to the world, to thrive as the people of God. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.